Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Our guest today is Mark McKenzie, the 19-year-old center back for the Philadelphia Union, one of the players Greg Berhalter called into the national team's January camp and a key member of the U.S. U-20 side that qualified for the World Cup in dominant fashion in November. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. No, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so let's start by talking about your background. I think you grew up in the Bronx and then Delaware. Can you talk about that and your upbringing and how you got into soccer? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm half Jamaican, half American. So, uh, you know, football kind of runs through my veins as it is. Um, I was born in the Bronx. I lived there for most of my my childhood and then moved to Delaware when I was about seven. Um, And been living in northern Delaware since. Uh, You know, bounced around a little bit, you know, in terms of clubs. You know, I started out at the YMCA and then made my way to an independent team, uh, the Rangers. Uh, Wilmington Rangers, and then eventually aged out of that and moved on to join Hocuston Soccer Club, which then transferred over to uh, Delaware Rush. Um, played there until uh, I was about uh, 11, uh, 11, 12, and then during that time, when I was about 9, 10, I was traveling up to King of Prussia <clears throat> with the Union Juniors, uh, training with some guys uh, who I'm actually teammates with today, like Trusty Matt, Anthony. Huh. Um, so yeah, I uh, was doing that about three times a week and then eventually joined the Union's Academy when I was 13 and you know, the rest, uh, you guys probably already know. So. Yeah. So your dad, so your dad is the, is the half of you that's Jamaican. Is that right? Yeah. 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 My dad was born and raised in Jamaica and moved to the U S when he was uh, coming to college, uh, 17. So who does he follow? Like what, who, he must be a big soccer fan. He is, he is. He's a he's a big Barca guy, you know. Him and I go back and forth about it in the house. So I'm a Madrid guy. Um, yeah. Uh, so you know those classical days with Ronaldo and Messi, we'd always uh, have those bickering battles about who's better. And I'd have to show him up with stats and this, that, and the other. So you know, I feel like I got an upper hand on him just because I'm around the game more than he is. But uh, you know, he he knows his stuff. So well, you certainly had the upper hand until Ronaldo went to Juventus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about you, your game. Um, can you take us through your evolution as a center back? And I got a bunch of questions on this subject, but maybe the first one is, what do you, what did you do well as a player at the Rush and, you know, I guess at, at the Wilmington Rangers and the other academies where you played that made you stand out? Did you stand out and, and why? Um... <clears throat> So actually, before I joined the Union's uh, academy, even our pre-academy, <clears throat> I was a striker. I was a midfielder and a striker, so uh, I always had a you know a knack for for wanting to score goals. Um, I was hungry, but a part of me was a uh, you know I hated being up in a position where I couldn't help keep you know a clean sheet. I hate seeing my team get scored on. So I guess that part of me was always a center back. Um, but I enjoyed the glory of being a striker and midfielder and being involved in the play all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I joined the uh, Youth Academy, I, I guess they kind of saw something different in me. 
you know, more of a leadership role. Uh, you know, I was a bigger guy. Um, but I really didn't have that striker hunger, I guess you could say. Uh, I started showing qualities of a defender. And from there, they kind of just crafted me, uh, took me aside, did a lot of video, uh, 1v1 work with the, the coaches. Um, and eventually, it kind of just became a natural thing just as a center back. Um, you know, being able to play diagonals, playing through the lines, winning uh, physical duels, um, <clears throat> building out. So, you know, just as the years went on, I just tried to add different parts of my game and, and fine-tune it. And eventually, uh, you know, at each level, you know, I have to get, get better. Um, and, and finally, I felt like I'm, I was able to make the jump, leaving out of Wake Forest. So. Right. So you went to Wake Forest in the fall of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And Correct. Uh, worked your way into the starting lineup by the end of the season. How did your time there affect your game? What are some things you learned from Bobby Moose? Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Moose? Moss? Correct, correct. Bobby Moose, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, for me, uh, I think I really, I'd spend a lot more time doing one on like functional work. Uh, I think that's where I, I actually get the most, uh, at least, personal development um, in terms of playing out, um, you know, seeing different plays with uh, different movements by strikers. Uh, You know, I didn't get as many reps as I wanted to in game situations, but at the same time, I think having the the opportunity to be able to see these things happen – but I did break down a lot of film and that one 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 on one personal work with uh with Bobby and the coaches there um really forced me to to take a different look at my game um and not depending huh. so much because there are guys that are just as fast just as strong uh at this level so at least at the college level there were so trying to to make sure that there were other parts of my game that I could use um uh, and enhance in order to kind of stand out. Um, and by the time uh, by the time the semester came and the season had ended, it was uh, I felt like I had matured enough to, to take the next step and sign, uh, you know, a contract with Philly. So uh, I think for me, off the field, uh, I think off the field was probably the functional uh, video work was the biggest portion of my game that uh, I learned a lot at Wake. So functional like ta- like tactical stuff or like tactics. Yeah. yeah yeah i'm sorry i should probably use it. yeah tactics no. um tactics, i'm yeah. i'm always up to i'm always up to learn some more jargon you know i'm ready for that yeah uh, yeah yeah no yeah I, I so i'm so used to using the term functional uh that in my head is clear but yeah tactical work um, okay in terms of positioning uh like body positioning uh my connection with the the back line uh with the other members of the back line as well as the positioning of the midfielders, you know, where the strikers are, you know, how to uh, orient my body in a way where I can then anticipate uh, an entry ball past our, our midfield line and try and break up passes, break up uh, the strikers' movements, you know, hand-checking a striker before he can, can make a run, you know, different things like that. Uh, being able to see that uh, before I step onto the field, it really helped me. So, Yeah, okay. Well, that was that was quite a jump from you know not getting as much game time as you maybe wanted at Wake Forest, and then you signed with Philly, and all of a sudden for big stretches of 2018, you're a guaranteed starter. 
Um, yeah. Was, was that a yeah. su- surprise to you or um, how did I that mean, go down? I was coming, I was coming and put the pressure on myself. Uh, you know, I set the standard high for myself. So, of course, I hadn't been, I hadn't been there for a while, you know, probably about seven months, eight months since I had last, um, you know, played for either the, the Academy or the Steel. Um, and then to leave, it, you know, kind of not threw me back, but it took me out of the picture for a little while. So coming into the preseason, it was just a matter of me putting my head down and focusing on, you know, getting acclimated to the way uh, we played, um, to the team, you know, the culture, the group, you know, style of play, uh, as well as trying to showcase my abilities um, and incorporate all that into one. So, of course, I wanted to play from the start, but I knew it was going to be a process and it was going to be a, a grind in order to, to earn my position because um, at the end of the day, uh, like my pops always say, you know, no, nothing is earned. Nothing is given in this life. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I knew I had to earn it. And, you know, I go, I went in with the mindset of if I have to play with the steel, I play with the steel, get my minutes there and showcase. And then when my opportunity comes to be in the AT with the first team, yeah, and then when my opportunity comes to, to play with the first team consistently, then, uh, you know, just kind of setting each milestone as it comes. And, uh, you know, uh, I put in, uh, I thought preseason went well last year and uh, put in a, a lot of good minutes. Uh, yeah, put in a lot of good minutes on the field. And, you know, coming in, I got a couple games with the Steel and then left for uh, camp, uh, 20s camp in, in March and got the call. Um, when I was over there, that they wanted me to come back uh, and fly to Colorado with them, uh, which would have been my first <clears throat> incorporation into the uh, the eighteen. Hmm. And then the following week, I got rostered again against Orlando, and then got my debut that night against Orlando. Uh, and then the following week, I ended up starting my first game uh, against FC Dallas. So, you know, it did, I wouldn't say it came fast. You know, I. I was confident in, in how I was doing and how I was playing. And, uh, you know, I knew as long as I handled the little things, you know, I didn't overthink anything as long as I, you know, just kept it simple. Um, and, uh, just try to stay out of my head, um, that, you know, things would, would happen. So, yeah, again, you know, it was, uh, it came kind of quick uh, on the calendar at least, but, you know, it was, uh, it was a process trying to get there. Um, and, and thankful and blessed that it did. So, you know, it's, for me, it's trying to build off of what I did last year. You know, it was a pretty good year. Um, you know, there's still a lot of stuff I need to work on. Um, and, you know, looking forward to, to what's to come uh, the next few weeks, or actually in the next week. And we got the season open next weekend. So I'm excited to, to get the season rolling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious what you think, what you think the biggest lessons were that you learned last season. And you know what you do. What do you think you need to work on? This, uh, I mean, what are you working on? What do you think you need to work on? So for me, uh, uh, the biggest thing I learned last year, um, <clears throat> off the field, just the little things. You know, taking care of your body, your nutrition. Um, you know, it's a long season, so you know all that, all the uh, the minor things they add up, and if you don't handle them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't find a rhythm with that stuff, it will come back to bite you by the end of the year. So uh, I wouldn't say that happened for me, but, you know, you learn those lessons as the year goes on. Um, so just, you know, try to carry that on to this year and the rest of my career uh, so that way I can play for as long as possible. 
but on the field for me, I think defensively is probably one of the biggest places I want to work on uh, in terms of positioning. You know, strikers in this league, you know, they get paid the big bucks, so their movements are so clinical and so uh, precise that as a defender, you have to be able to anticipate what they're doing as well as uh, try and communicate that with your, you know, with your teammates on the field, um, you know, and try and keep things connected so that way you're not becoming, uh, you're not getting disjointed because you have one guy dropping the striker and another guy going with the attacking midfield. So um, I think for me that's probably one of the biggest things, you know, being being able to anticipate their movements uh, and disrupt their uh, what they want to do, uh, make them play off of me rather than vice versa. Yeah. With the ball, just being able to break lines, um, find our, you know, our playmakers in uh, ten position. Uh, you know, the guys at top. So, uh, you know, just each and every day, just working on those uh, driven balls and the diagonal balls, clip balls into the the forwards and into the midfielders' feet. Um, you know, beating out uh, sport wingers uh, to the outside back with uh, with the pass. So, just chipping away at it each and every day, man. And, you know, it's not going to come all at once, but you know, it's. Uh, just grinding, and eventually it all come together. So I'm excited to see it and put it together against some uh, some high level competition uh, coming up next week and mm-hmm. and for the rest of the season. And uh, you know I'm confident in, in what we got going on here and in my abilities as well. So yeah, I mean that the the cerebral side of like disrupting the clinical movement of a highly paid striker just as a spectator that that mental task appears to be almost overwhelming you know and um i wonder, <laughs> yeah. I wonder how you you know how you deal with that like how do you like what do you what do you do to to get sharper at that that defensive stuff i mean just seeing it every day uh have you know going against guys especially in the team uh you know we have we have some intelligent players so their movements are uh, you got to be able to keep track of them and seeing those repetitions every day in practice kind of help with that. Um, but also, you know, you break down film and you watch their movements and, you know, at home I'll just, you know, watch clips and see how they, how they work in games and how they operate, um, you know, in certain conditions, you know, when it's, uh, I don't know, you know, when it may be 70th minute in a, a hotter game, uh, you know, climbs over the climate. And, you know, see what they're doing and see how they manage their, their legs throughout the course of the 90 minutes. Huh. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing is just watching them, watching their movements uh, and film. I'd say that's like the, the key part to it all. Because when you see it and, and then you're able to anticipate it, it kind of helps. Uh, it helps. And then, you know, having guys in your team, you know, replicate those and train put together game-like situations so that way once the game gets here, it's like, okay, you know, I've seen this before. I know what to do. Uh, how do I react? And then if they end up coming out with a different game plan, how okay, how do I adjust to this now? So um, I think, you know, like they say, practice makes perfect. You get those repetitions. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not going to be, you know, perfect on the field, but, uh, you know, the more you can see it, uh, I feel like the better you can adjust to it uh, in, in different scenarios. Okay. Now, now breaking the lines with passing is something I I really admire about your game, and I and I'm thinking partic- of a particular pass in U20 World Cup qualifying. <laughs> yeah, 
you 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 play that ball to Alex Mendez, who then scored that banger against Costa Rica. Um, talk me through that play, if you would. Yeah, so the ball had come from uh, we were swinging the ball around the back, uh, went off to Chris Gloss on the left hand side, then swing it back to Matt Real, uh, who was playing center back that game, uh, and then before the ball had kind of come to me, you know, we had been talking about that camp trying to break these teams down um, and knowing sometimes they're going to sit in, but to have confidence that if we play along to our midfielders, they'll be able to handle them and uh, they'll be able to, you know, once we break those lines, they're eliminated out the game and now we can go and make things happen up top. So, you know, before I got in the ball, I took in a look and uh, I saw they were a little late shifting over. Um, the striker or their winger was a little bit you know, pulled outside with our outside back. And uh, the midfielders weren't in a position to really cover up Mendez. So uh, by the time I had taken my first touch, I already know where I wanted to play the ball. And I was just executing uh, in a way where now it takes, allows Mendez to, to turn, um, but also keeps the defenders away from uh, away from him. So, you know, it's uh, it was. A, I look back at it, it was a really nice ball. I'm not even gonna. I hate toot my own horn, but uh, <laughs> it, was. <laughs> it was. It was a pretty decent. It was a pretty decent ball. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's something I really want to you know continue to to work on um, and, and do on a consistent consistent basis uh, in order to you know help the team uh, and start the attack, uh, which usually comes from the back. So, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, but again, it's uh. It's really about timing and, and kind of seeing it before it happens. It's difficult as a center back sometimes because those gaps can close up pretty quick, and, and strikers will then just try and anticipate your pass before you even make it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think at camp, Greg uh, Greg Bearhalter, he, you know, we had multiple or several conversations about it, um, and just taking a picture before you even get the ball and processing it. So by the time it gets to you, now you can just pass it. You know, it's not even like you have to look again. You know, you, you know what's there. Um, you know your teammates there. And now it's just executing that pass. So, you know, I know it was before I, I met with Greg and was coached under him, but uh, I think that's uh, you know, something I want to continue to carry, uh, and carry into my game. So. Yeah. Yeah, and not everybody, you know, not every attacking midfielder is able to turn and and hit it in top nine yeah. from. Yeah, and credit to Mendes for that. That yeah. that was a nice turn as well as a bang of a finish. So, you know, credit to him for handling it, and uh, you know, so guy got an assist too. So yeah, was nice. <laughs> Here's to many more of those uh, that sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you and Chris Richards formed a strong, I thought. Very strong center back pairing yeah. in that tournament. Do you think the two of you complement yeah. each other well? And does like does playing I next do. to does playing next to Chris uh, force you to play differently than say playing next to Austin or or Jack Elliott? I don't know how much time you and Elliott had together last year, but yeah, no, we didn't have too much time together. But uh, no, Chris and I, uh, we I think it really starts off the field um, and just having that, that comfortability with each other. Um, and knowing that, uh, you know, it's it won't be perfect on the field, but I think we both understand that, and we're both confident enough in each other uh, to that you know have each other's backs through the ups and the downs. Um, so you know, on the field, you see us. You know, it's not always going to be you know good job, Chris, or good job, Martin. You know, it's going to be like, come on now, let's go. 
Um, but yeah. he knows that I'm getting on him because I, I want to see him, you know, succeed. I want to see him get better. He, you know, it's vice versa. You know, it gets on me. He's like, you need to be here. And I'm like, all right, I got you. I got you. So, um, you know, I'm extremely comfortable playing with him in the back. And uh, he is, you know, he's great feet. You know, he has great vision as well. He has physical attributes. So I think, you know, our pairing together, you know, we're, we're strong together. Um, and I'm, you know, looking forward to potentially playing uh, in the World Cup with him. So it's, uh, you know, we're still building and, and we still got a ways to go. But that's uh, one guy I'm very uh, happy to play with in the back. So, yeah. So, you know, we, uh, it's, yeah, qualifiers was a, it was a great test, um, especially against a team like Mexico in the final, uh, which really put us, uh, you know, to see how we react and see how we do. And I think we, we uh, well, I know we stood up to the test and, and got the results. So, you guys locked it down, man. There was there was hardly a moment we did, of concern. We did a clean sheet. We, we had a clean sheet, so you know, uh, of course, we got to clean some things up. But that comes with time and playing to get, you know get more reps together. So um, the same thing goes with you know trusty as well. You know, playing together uh, as kids and now uh, to be at this stage, it's like. All the the little steps that that built up to this, they help, uh, even in small ways. So, um, you know, being comfortable with each other, I feel like off the field really carries on to the field. Um, and now uh, you can then you know converse with each other in a way that you know it's not personal. You know it's in order to you know grow in order to succeed as a as a unit uh, right. as individuals. So. That's great to hear. So you you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the 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 camp January camp. Can you talk a little more about what you picked up from Burhalter about you know, what he's looking for from his center backs and you know how you can how you can fit that? Yeah, no. So you know, Greg, he wants center backs who are comfortable playing. You know, as uh, you know, building out the back is at, mom- at moments it can be scary because the risk. You know, the amount of risk, but. He wants his center back to be confident enough to handle pressure, to handle the ball in those difficult situations, to be able to find outlets, to be able to find solutions. Um, and of course, it's not going to be you know being able to play out the back, but no one's reading the game um, and understanding when and where to to take those risks. Yeah. So uh, I think he places that that uh, that responsibility on us, uh, the defenders, to to know, uh, as well as to be vocal leaders. Um, and you know to ultimately to be that base um so that way our attackers can then focus on attacking um, even though defending is a it's a team it's it's all loving guys trying to trying to get the ball back for each other um but if you have a strong foundation of a back line a center you know center backs and, and then that gives your, your attacking guys a lot more comfortability to then go and do what they do so um you know, he right. Greg also played center back and, and trying to pick his brain about you know the position. Uh, I think we we've had several several conversations. Like I said earlier, um, just one getting to know each other, but two also just trying to. Um, he wants to see me grow, and he's always pushing me um, to to be better. You know, whether it be technically, technically, tactically, um, or just the better. You know, uh, you know, vocally. You know, whatever it is. Um, and I think we've we've got a solid relationship at the moment, and I look forward to you know building that in the future. But uh, in terms of the center backs, I think 
key attributes to definitely be being able being comfortable with the ball, mm-hmm. but also being comfortable, you know, defensively and not having the ball, even though we want to win the ball back as soon as possible. All right. Are there a lot of similarities between Berhalter's philosophy and Tabs? I mean, you've been under, you've you've played under both coaches now. What what are the differences? Um, Greg is uh he's very uh he's a he has an he's an amazing soccer mind. You know, I think both he and Tab both you know they they played at the national team level or the international level and played in some high level competition. Um, I think. Greg is very uh, he's very meticulous and he wants every detail to be perfect so that way when we get on the field, even though it's not going to be perfect, that we can get it as high, of, we can create as high of a standard as possible. Uh, he wants to you know, create an identity. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's one thing, or a few things that I picked up on just being around him and, and being close under him. Um, in terms of Tab, Tab is also a great soccer mind. He reads the game well and he uh, I think he he enjoys us keeping the ball and moving the ball. Uh, I think that's the similarity between both of them. They want to have the ball at all times. Well, and not at all times, but you know what I mean. A lot yeah. of the time, yeah. You know, they both want to. Yeah, a lot of the time they want to be possession oriented. That way, we can create as many chances as possible and try and punish teams. Um, so you know, they both play different positions. So I'd say, Greg, he has it. He wants focus more on building out um hmm. and you know that that back six is like the core group for him he he enjoys working with us you know uh, whereas you know Tavi is more of an attacking attacking mind so the freedom of the the front players to go and to create chances is where he enjoys um where he enjoys you know seeing things come to fruition uh, you know, those attacking movements and, you know, a play like, you know, my pass to Mendez and I'll go on and score that goal. You know, the movements by the midfielders and the forwards and the wingers to create space. Uh, I think, you know, I probably said those are, that's the biggest difference between the two of them. So Interesting, interesting. Both great, great, both great soccer minds and I enjoy working with both of them. Um, but, yeah, I'd say that's probably like a big difference just because, you know, Greg was a defender and Tad was a midfielder. So, yeah. You know, do you think you'll be able to play with the U20s in the World Cup in May? <laughs> um, you know, right now uh, it's just like kind of focusing on this season and trying to trying to get through these the first few months. Yeah. Uh, for, get through March and, and April, and then kind of see where we sit in May. Um, you know, just controlling what I can control and playing my game and, and making. The decision part for uh, for everyone involved. So, you know, my goal is to to be there and, and Poland with the group. Um, you know, fighting for a you know World Cup title, but uh, you know at the same time can't can't focus on on what's happening two or three months away. So, just kind of taking it day by day right now. I'm focusing on my game and trying to to again make their uh, their decisions that much harder. Yeah, it's a, ultimately it's a good problem to have for everybody involved. It is, it is, it is, it is. So, uh, you know. Did Jim Curtin tell you you guys got to go ten and zero before the World Cup, otherwise you can't go? <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. Not, I haven't heard any of that. So I haven't heard any of that. So. All right. Um, yeah. So, a couple more questions about Philly. Uh, we, you know, you you started eighteen games, I think, last year, including the last six matches of the season in the playoffs. 
So what was the what was the high point of 2018 for you with the union? And what was the low point? The high point. Uh yeah, I'll start with the low point. Um one, you know, getting not you know, ending the game on two losses, I think that was a at stung. You know, having had such a, a successful season as a group. Uh having, you know, gotten the most point season uh regular season points uh in club history. Um, you know, making making playoffs, potentially fighting for a home playoff spot. You know, we had done so much great work that to you know to lose <laughs> to to NYCFC twice uh, in a span of like five days that yeah. uh, really stung. So uh, I think that was a little point as well as you know losing the Open Cup final that that stung a lot as well. Uh, the potential to bring home the the club's first trophy, major trophy. So. Uh, I think that, that those are probably two that, that hurt the most, um, you know, as a collective for me, just having, you know, we had so many great runs throughout the year. It was just, it, it hurt a little bit. So those two were probably two low points uh, for me personally. Um, Makes sense. Uh, high point though, I, I think uh, having put together so many, like, put together strings, like, Quality strings of strings of performances uh, as a team, um, and you know we go on a stretch. I think it was like four or five games where we had won. Uh, we were playing good good football, and it was just like yeah. And the vibe around the group was there, and I think that was uh, you know, for me that was a high. You know, the the culture in the locker room, you know, um, on the field it was just the freedom and it was the fluidity that we were playing with that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, personally, just making my debut and being able to play that many games, and uh, you know, I think those were again high points. And, and finally, you know, making playoffs—that was a, a big one for me. That was the biggest game I've ever played in. So, uh, at least in club, um, biggest club game I've ever played in. So, um, that's uh, it was a little something right there. But you know, overall, that was a good year. You know, a lot of learning learning experiences that I can build on and look back and, you know, want to carry into this this upcoming year. Uh, but, you know, different year, different group, and, and now we just got to, you know, start clicking, you know what I'm saying? And we got next week and, uh, you know, get things rolling and, you know, build from there. So I watched a mic'd up video your team published uh, where Aurelian Collin – Asked you a bunch of questions about Burhalter and the national team's tactics. How common is that? Are are MLS players interested in what's going on at national team camps? Yeah, yeah, no. You you see uh, when you watch the games, you see different movements by different players and, and kind of uh, a different style of play that you that you know, people are interested in. So uh, he was just picking my brain about you know what I saw out there and what it was like and the style of play and uh, on the field. So just kind of passing that on to him. And he's also a great soccer mind, you know, somebody who's very intelligent, a high soccer IQ. So uh, he was just intrigued by it and the way that the players moved, you know. So, you know, it was also interesting to me. Um, you know, it took an adjustment period to get used to playing like that. But after mm-hmm. you, you you figure it out, you're like, yeah, it's nice. So, yeah, yeah, it was kind of cool you know, to see the way his eyes lit up when you when he understood the idea about the inverted fullback. 
you know, when you're explaining that yeah. to him, and then he's yeah, like, oh, yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice. It was a uh, nice moment. So, you know, it's, you know, just something in the back of your head, you know, you keep those ideas there, and, you know, who knows, something might come out in the game or something like that, but uh, it's, uh, those conversations are always healthy, I think, uh, just building uh, relationships as, as teammates uh, on and off the field. So, okay, I got a couple, two more kind of broader questions, and then I'll and then I'll let yeah. you go. Yeah, <clears throat> a fair amount of your social media has to do with with Christianity, I see, and I just thought it'd be appropriate to ask you what what that what does that mean to you, how that informs your life and your work as a professional soccer player. Yeah, no, so uh, you know I'm a, I'm a Christian and. Uh, I grew up in the church. You know, my family, we are we are advocate Christians. So, mm-hmm. um, for me, it's you know having a foundation of knowing that you know, you know, there's a lot. There's always going to be ups and downs in this, in this career. You know, this this play. Uh, you know, football is not always kind to you, right? Um, but knowing at the end of the day, it's uh, you know I have a, a greater purpose in my life, um, and you know personally, I just feel like it's to to spread love. Um, it's just to spread his word um, in a way that, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to overwhelm people with it. Um, but at the same time, I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. I'm not ashamed of, you know, knowing that, you know, God is in control of my life. And, you know, no matter the ups and the downs, uh, I'm always keep a smile on my face as much as I can, because I know that my situation is, I'm blessed to even be where I am now. Yeah, and I know that there's so many others that that would love to be in my position. So, you know, you know God, I'm, God's tremendously blessed me with uh, with the talent to go out and, and play the game I love. Let's uh, not get caught up in the you know the shiny things, the material items, uh, because it can all be taken away in, in a moment. So, you know, I think having uh, this Christian foundation for me keeps me humble, keeps me uh, grounded, and understanding that. You know, it's not gonna last forever, and you know, I'm I'm not here forever, so right. You know, I I, I want to make you know I want to take advantage of of my time here and, and in this position and be able to you know spread love and peace, man. You know, I'm not I'm not I don't like to fight. I don't like I don't really, I'm not I'm not a guy about that. You know, I just wanna you know I go out and and enjoy enjoy playing, enjoy you know my family, my friends, and. And just, you know, it's, I think for me, that's, those are the biggest things. Um, uh, again, I don't like, I don't want to overwhelm people with it. Uh, but I also want to make people aware that I am and that I'm not ashamed of it. So. Yeah, I don't think you overwhelm people at all. I, I, that makes me think of one other question. The, um, what you said about the ups and the downs, you know, a lot of, a lot of U.S. soccer fans, they see a, a 19 year old like you starting a lot of games in MLS, all of a sudden, there's a there's a lot of attention on you. They're like, okay, here's the next here's the next na- national team center back coming up, and I think there's a tendency among some people, maybe even myself included, to like to overdo it, you know. And then and then when that yeah, yeah, yeah. when that when that young player uh, doesn't have a good game, then the you know then the judgment comes down hard, and I wonder. I wonder if you, you know, if you have a message to, to 
close observers of the game about that. Like when uh, when there's a rough when there's a rough game for you or or any other young player, you know. Yeah. No. Um, what does I say? I, I messed with him, but I'd say it's not going to be pretty. You know. Um, again, young players, there's still so much to learn, there's still so much to grow in, and um, you know, of course, there's, there's going to be pressure, and I think we understand that, but. You know, at the same time for me, you know, I understand I play the glory of God and I know that he's in control of my situation, you know. In those difficult moments, uh, how I react is going to, you know, eventually dictate, you know, what happens next, you know. If you react in a negative manner, you let one game, you know, ultimately uh, negatively affect your mental. Now you're going to put together a string of negative poor performances and now it's just going to continue to, you know, to pile up on you. So, um it's his career is not easy it's not you know always the most fun you know being not saying that it's not fun but you know the pressures can sometimes you know feel overwhelming but i'm sure for me leading leading for me leading on, on god knowing that he's in control i think is the uh a comic force you know it's uh knowing that look uh, I've had in the past, you know, the past year, I had some poor performances where, you know, I take poor touches, make poor passes, uh, you're not reading the game the way I need to read it. And, you know, it's it's elevated being that you're, at a, you're playing at this level. And you're right. going to hear critics and you're going to get the, the naysayers and, oh, why is he playing? Oh, he's too young to be doing this. Oh, he's only 19. I don't get why this guy is not. So, you know, all that stuff. You, you hear it, but you, you brush it off um, as much as you can. You try not to, to internalize it because it can mess you up. So I think stepping away from the game and just, you know, spending time in my words, spending time with family um, and, and trying to just enjoy being in this position yeah. as much as I can. It's like, uh, yeah, again, to those that don't feel like I can – you know, play at this level or internationally or whatever it is, you know, they can feel however they want to feel, you know, I'm not in control of what they, uh, what they think or say, but, um, I know that I have a plan for my life and I'm as hungry as ever. And I know I have a ways to go, but that's not, you know, the negatives and the poor performances aren't going to stop me from achieving what uh, I know God has for me in store. So it's awesome. Still ways, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, Hey man, I'm ambitious. I put the pressure on myself to to be the best I can be on and off the field, you know. And uh, and, and I look forward to you know feeling some more pressure as the years go on. So yeah, you got a lot of pressure in your future, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, no worries. Bro. Last question: You recently participated in a roundtable discussion about black soccer in North America. Correct. Seem like a really good conversation, and I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. You said in that video you f- you feel like things are moving in the right direction, and that you feel a little bit of pride when you see, uh, you know, black players in the Philly academy that are younger than you. Do you think uh, the momentum for soccer is growing for Black Americans? Uh, I I I do, um, but you know it's uh, it's. Again, I feel like it's moving in the right direction, but there's still conversations that need to be had. There's still things we need to, you know, discuss and, and to be open about. Again, it's 
I feel at the moment in North America, football is not really uh, as accessible to to certain, you know, individuals, to certain communities. Um, just being that sometimes it can be a, a, a pay-to-play sport. And again, we're still working on that, and that's uh, something we've definitely gotten better at. But it's, I feel like we, we still need to discuss more and talk more and, and just allow uh, the opportunity, spread the opportunities some more uh, in order for us to really be in a position where now we feel like uh, we've made a jump, uh, made a leap. Um, you know, we've taken the right steps. You know, we talk about it, but now we just got to execute. You know, we can talk as much as we want, but if there's no execution at the end of it, there's, uh, there's no progress to be made. So, uh, again, I, I, I want to be an advocate and I want to be able to provide others with an outlet and to let them know that they're not the only ones and that, you know, it's not going to be easy, you know, being, you know, being black, it's, it can sometimes feel like you have a target on your back, you know, just in terms of you get picked out of a crowd, uh, you know, maybe not for the color of your skin, but for your athleticism or for, you know, this or so, for something like that. So it's uh, still racism in the game and there's still things we're working on. But it's, uh, as long as I feel like we, we have some execution at the end of all this discussion, these conversations, I feel like we'll be uh, we're making those jumps uh, towards uh, in the right direction. So Okay. Okay, Mark, thanks. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we're rooting for you. A lot of us out here are rooting for you. Good luck with the season. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. Take it easy, all right? All right. Hey y'all, we could go on and on about how Burhalter might set up the midfield in the March friendlies. Greg, you up for that? I feel like even if we don't discuss it, that's what everyone is thinking about all the time anyway. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's on everyone's lips. I gotta say though, I'm weary of that conversation a little bit. Maybe we'll get back to it in a few weeks. There's one little bit of news though we should mention. Greg Berhalter was interviewed before Schalke's Champions League game against Manchester City and was asked essentially where he sees McKinney playing for the national team. Berhalter said he sees him as an 8 in defense and a 10 in the attack, which is basically the Christian Roldan role from the January camp friendlies. No big surprise there, but nice little bit of confirmation. What do you make of it? I think it's a quite a big nugget just because I think a lot of us kind of thought there was still a possibility that Adams and McKenney would play side by side as those dual tens and attack. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not an outlandish thought. And uh, I think for me, this kind of seals in my mind that that will not be the case, because if you were going to do that, there's no way for me that you would have Adams be the second striker uh, slash 10. So he'd play 10 in attack and then in defense, he'd be like a second forward. Right. Uh, in a four four two, like there's no way in my mind you would do that and and take him out of the midfield in defense. So now the options are Adams as the two, 
the right back, the inverted fullback, or Adams as the six, right? I mean, yeah, that's got to be what, that's for me. That's that's got to be what I'm uh, what I'm expecting to see in March now. So the March, assuming, assuming everyone's healthy, the March, the March whittling has already begun. The whittling of possibilities. Yeah, I'm hoping every week, Br whoever. Fox Sports gets uh, gets Bert Halter on there and he drops one additional nugget about his lineup. Yeah, we just need to know what he thinks of of Tyler Adams, and it's it's basically all settled at this point. No, we th- then we need Pulisic and Weah. Yeah, one of those two. One of those two then would set the stage for everyone else. We, I don't even know if Weah's in Bert Halter's plans for the starting eleven. That's how up in the air everything is. It's a mystery. It's all a mystery. We got kind of a rundown of news to go through in addition to what we just mentioned. So let's start where we are, which is McKenney. Um, Schalke fell to Man City 3-2 on Wednesday at home in the Champions League. And while McKenney played pretty well at right outside mid, I think he's now played just about every position on the field, he may have suffered a significant injury when he took a cleat to the groin from Emmerich Laporte. He was majorly hobbled by it on the telecast. I guess there's an MRI coming. But, you know, big picture with McKenney, he's proven to be an asset for Schalke at all these different positions. I know a lot of people are frustrated by that. I guess I don't know if you're frustrated by that. Are you frustrated by that, Greg? Uh, no, I'm not really frustrated by it. I'm frustrated that Schalke play, usually tend to play some horrific-looking soccer. I wouldn't care if you were playing all these different positions for like Pep Guardiola at Man City and looking competent at every single one. Uh, but it's hard to even gauge his competence level the way Schalke play. Yeah. I get that. And I and I understand that why fans are frustrated. But I guess for me, e- even though they're not playing beautiful soccer, and I, I, I wouldn't even say they're playing good soccer, for a 20-year-old to get all kinds of experience all over the field at such a high level, even though Schalke is not good, is is a good thing, in my opinion. Hopefully, his groin is all right. You you can tell we're getting greedy because we're we're I'm complaining about Weston McKenney playing in the knockout rounds of the Champions League, where he left the game up two one over Manchester City. Yeah, he left. They were up two one. They ended up losing three two. He was he wasn't even moving around after he took that shot in the midsection. wasn't moving around very well at all. So yeah, he he had to come off. Thoughts. And prayers for Weston McKenney. I guess the MRI is happening right now. Tyler Adams, why don't you take this one? Bells, uh, every week he's going to prove you a little bit more and more wrong about your take on his passing ability. Uh, <laughs> and, and it started over the weekend with a no-look 30-yard through ball to set up the – was it the match-winning goal or was it the insurance It tally? was an insurance tally, I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, in any event, uh, keeps his keeps his excellent string of play performances alive. I mean, what do you what do you say, Bells? Is could, is he is he sort of making you a believer about his passing ability? No, I think he's a good. <laughs> I think he's a good. I think he's pretty good when he's he's got the game in front of him. And that was a you know that was a pretty good pass. You could have driven a. I mean, people are going to think I'm stubborn for saying this, but you could have driven a bus through the window he passed through. Uh, it was, it was not like, it was not an amazing pass and, um, you know, it's, he, I've never questioned his ability to like, to play a pass when he has the game in front of him, he's moving forward. He has a head of steam. I think he's pretty good at that. It's the, 
it's the receiving the ball in a tight space and having the bravery to turn and advance possession in a meaningful way that I um, that I doubt about him. And that 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 play didn't do anything to assuage those doubts. I'm not. I don't want to be too much of a curmudgeon here, but like a couple things about that play. One, he received the ball in his own half, and he was tackled, and the tackler got the ball, but the ball bounced off of Adam's knee perfectly into into his uh, path. You know what I'm saying? It's not like he it's not like he uh he dribbled around the guy. He got a lucky bounce to even yes. get in the spot. Yes. The the first action of that of that sequence was was a fortunate bounce that put him in a great attacking position. Right. And then he and then you know, he's scary when he's got when he's in that spot cuz he's like he's got his head up, he's moving forward and he played the right pass, no doubt about it. But I but the pass did drag Paulson away from the goal a little bit. I've got some major thumbs down on the on the group chat for saying that. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to get so many negative comments. Like all any any like uh, positive reviews the podcast has gotten are going to are going to just fall off the cliff. <laughs> I love Tyler Adams. I'm just saying. I like, know you. He he's. I have. I'm not moved on my view of his limitations as a player. Okay, let me just let me just say this about the pass. the The actual pass itself, uh, like the striking of the ball, and and isn't even the important thing about it. Uh, it's that he actually created all of it. So yes, the first bit of the play was a bit lucky, but then once he broke into that space, uh, rather than just driving straight at the goal, he cut hard infield. He was kind of on the left sideline, yeah. cut hard infield, uh, sealed off the guy who was pursuing from behind so that he couldn't make a play and dragged the defenders uh, who he was attacking a little bit, uh, essentially made them turn their body, turn their hips uh, and that's what allowed him to then find the angled pass to Paulson to put him in. So there's a lot of nuance from Adams to set up his own pass uh, mm-hmm. that I don't want to be ignored in it. And and maybe that's what you're talking about is once he gets running forward, uh, then he's capable of some really good things. But it's definitely example an example of, of that then. Uh, and there is some nuance to it. It's not like he just hit a ball into a wide open space for a guy. Like he had to do some work to create that uh, – to create those angles, and uh, I was really impressed with it. And yeah, the no look is just is just a little extra sauce. I don't want to overdo it. I'm really happy with the play. It's a it's a game changing play for sure. Uh, anything else on Adams? I mean, three games. No, he's played four games. Started four games. His club is four and zero in those games on an aggregate score of eleven to one. That's good. very good. Yeah, that's very good. Even though they've been against uh, three sort of bottom third teams in the Bundesliga, and then the the one good opponent was Wolfsburg in the in the cup. Yeah, that was a one zero win. That's true. They've, it's been the it's been the bottom feeders in the Bundesliga, and that's not going to change. They face Hoffenheim this weekend, I think, but then they then they have I'm pretty sure Augsburg in the DFB Cup, uh, and then um, a couple other lower table teams Nuremberg I think is up next after that that's the that's the bottom of the bottom so he's he's having a he's got he landed in a perfect spot man he's he, yeah, like, he, he fits the system perfectly it's a good team that's clicking on all cylinders and he's had a this period of games against kind of lowly competition to ease his way in in as much as that was required which it doesn't seem like it was required that much should we move on to the other three in the in, this in, my, in, my, in our five. big five, yeah. yeah, let's do it. So we've hit McKenny and Adams. 
Next up, Christian Pulisic. So-so performance from him. I only watched the All Touches video, but those are usually pretty thorough. Shout out, shout out to at USMNT videos. That that you're, man is. You're talking doing... about his Tottenham. You're talking about his Tottenham game in the Champions League. Yes. Yeah. Three zero loss. He was ruled out of Monday's match against Nuremberg, which Dortmund drew zero zero, and and the upcoming match against Bayer Leverkusen, which is huge for both clubs because Dortmund is kind of reeling at this point, and Leverkusen is on the on the come up. I don't know what what's there to say about Pulisic. Did you watch that game? Were you did you have a strong reaction to it? Uh, I saw the first half of the Spurs game, and in the first half, I thought Dortmund were better, and I thought Pulisic was very involved. Uh, he didn't do anything that was going to make your jaw drop, uh, but I thought it was a good performance. I was really excited about the, uh, seeing the all-touches video when it came out, and I thought that he did a good job combining. I thought he did a good good job uh, providing some threat, uh, nearly scored from a sharp angle. I mean, again, we're talking about Champions League knockout games, and we're talking about uh, an American 20-year-old playing on the team that's leading the Bundesliga. He's an important piece, whether he's the most important piece or not. Uh, I mean, we, we know he's not. But it doesn't um, matter. The point is it doesn't no, matter. No, it, it yeah. doesn't matter, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, was, I thought it was an encouraging performance against Spurs. Uh, obviously, the game completely got away from Dortmund in the second half. But that, again, wasn't, I don't... that wasn't on Pulisic, though, right? I mean, that no, was not at all. Weigel and... and again, and, and I don't really, I, I don't really care. Like I don't really care that Dortmund couldn't hang. I mean, it would be great if they'd keep going because I want Pulisic to just keep playing in the Champions League. Uh, but I was happy to see him looking competent in at that level of competition, uh, and you know, hopefully he recovers in time for the March friendlies and and for the uh, end of season run for Dortmund. Should they try to actually win this league? Yeah, despite all the hand-wringing, which, you know, I've been one of the chief hand-wringers, uh, he's still in a really good spot. Still our best winger. Still going to Chelsea in the summer. Going to get a fresh start there. Um, there you go. Christian Pulisic. Still our, still, still our best winger slash number 10? <laughs> we can't. We try to avoid that conversation, and we just can't. All right. All right. Next, next up in our number four in our big five. Joshua Sargent wins the foul for the game-tying free kick uh, for Bremen to beat. Who did they beat? Hertha Berlin. That's a respectable opponent. Um, not. Let me start that again. Joshua Sargent uh, over the weekend won the foul for the game-tying free kick in stoppage time for Bremen to scratch out a draw at Hertha Berlin. So that's good. But otherwise, it's been a quiet 2019 for for the young striker. He just turned 19. So we're going to have to stop calling him the 18 year old American. He's the 19 year old American now, but no goals, no assists since the winter break. And to my eyes, I believe I've watched every single minute. He hasn't been as effective as he looked in the fall. As we, as we record this, he could be playing against uh, Stuttgart too. Uh, that game's happening on Friday afternoon. As as you're editing this. Um, yeah. So I I haven't seen him play every single minute, uh, but when I have been watching him, does he look a little bit out of sorts? Like, does he look like uh, uh, the the movements and the runs and the like uh, the off ball decisions are either a little hesitant or in some cases just like he's making the wrong movement and it sort of stands out like he sort of sticks out in that way. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna die on that hill, but it does. It feels that way to me a little bit, yeah. 
the other the other thing on Sargent is he's not always playing strictly as like a number nine, if if I'm seeing it right. Do you see him sometimes playing as like a pinched in winger, uh, almost like underneath a target striker? Yeah, it's a it's a it's an unusual formation they they have. Uh, so Krusa is is generally the central player, but he's dropped. He's like he's like a false nine kind of with two strikers ahead of him, and um. So what that means for the the two strikers ahead of him is that they're kind of they're kind of all over the place. Like everybody's all over the place. So I don't I don't pretend to understand Kofeld's system, but yeah, he's not he's not playing a nine like he did in the Tab Ramos four three three. That's for sure. Right, and and in the setup that he would play under for Burhalter, uh, presumably anyway, if he's going to play, it would be in that role that Zardes was playing in in January. So I feel like the rules would be a lot easier for him to understand. I feel like his runs would step on people's toes a lot less yeah. than the, the limited time I've been watching him for Bremen. All right. Last, last man up. We move out of the Bundesliga for our last man in the top five. Timothy way Timo. He's in the 18 in the Europa league for Celtic against Valencia. As we record three goals, one assist in roughly 300 minutes in all competitions for him so far in Glasgow. I've already beat myself up about my prediction that he would struggle there. Any other uh, thoughts on him? Yeah. He's he's bringing a little bit of fire. Uh, he subbed in late over the weekend uh, in a game that was 0-0 zero, zero, uh, against who Kilmarnock. I don't know how to pronounce all these uh, Scottish teams. Um, Celtic, went on to, Celtic went on to score like a late winner to win 1-0 uh, and maintain their whatever it is, eight-point lead in the SPL. Um, but after the final whistle blew, way I was kind of getting in some guys' faces a little bit, showing a lot of uh, a lot of passion. Did you <laughs> yeah. catch that? Yeah, uh, I saw I saw the clip of it, and then I saw his uh, his statement about it. <laughs> I really like it. I actually think it's a, a sign of like maturity because he was doing it because he felt he was getting targeted with some like uh, cheap shots, uh, and it's a huge deal that he didn't retaliate in the moment where it's going to have an effect on the game. He waits until the whistle's blown and then has then says his piece, picks up a yellow card, seems to take that in good stride. Uh, but that's a I feel like again, that's a big deal for uh for a guy that you're wanting to go on the road in CONCACAF where you're gonna deal with all kinds of shenanigans, uh, to sort of have that awareness of when is it appropriate to uh to do something and when is it not. And that was that's a good sign for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting to see this team coalesce. You know, I feel like I say that all the time, but see these man boys compete in the region. All right, well, let's talk about after, after this big five of, of 20 and younger kids, uh, who are the next group of kids that we're hoping eventually coalesce? Alex Mendez and Richie Ledesma, frequent subjects of conversation on this podcast. It was a lukewarm outing from Mendez in his first start. For the Freiburg U19s, a game they lost and from which he was subbed out in the 60th minute or so. First start, well, how many times has he played for him, though? Was that basically his second appearance? Third appearance. So Third he, appearance, okay. He, he came on as a late sub in his in their first game of the spring, uh, came on at halftime in their second game, and then started their third game. So there's okay. a there's a progression right. there. Um, he's He looked good. He had a couple bad passes, and he but he looked good pretty good on the ball and defensively he was stuck in the the criticism I would have is he needs to get on the ball about twice as much as he as he is getting on the ball now that's not all, all on him 
that's on that's can be sort of chalked up to a team-wide failure. But in any case, uh, uh, an eight whose strength is creating danger on the ball, that's Mendez. He needs to get on the ball as much as possible. He needs to find the ball more. And I think if there's any chance of him making a first-team debut, which I thought was possible when we talked about this a couple months ago, he's going to have to uh, have a much greater impact on games than he did on this one. And then the other the other one is Ledesma, Richie Ledesma at PSV. Still hasn't played any minutes, and not even with the U19s, let, let alone young PSV. So we'll just have to wait and see. I My understanding is he's still working back from that injury he suffered in the summer to his foot and getting fitness. Okay. Uh, for, for guys like Mendez and Ledesma both, uh, these two in particular, I should say, they were coming off like their last competitive games were like USL, right? Other than Mendez's U20 qualifying campaign. Yes, that's right. And, and when did the USL season end? Like October? Yeah, but, but Mendez didn't. Neither of them played any USL after midsummer, I think. Uh, okay. So they were, they're both coming off really long layoffs of like competitive professional soccer. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cause my one, one of the sort of uh, guys I'm using for, for context here is, is Josh Sargent and the fact that he went to Werder Bremen a year before he could even play. Right. Right. So, or six months before. So he, he went there in January uh, just to train with them. Couldn't even play with their U19s. Uh, and then it still took until November. Once he started actually being able to play in August, still took him till November to get his first appearance with the with the first team. So it's not it's not like the end of the world stuff here if these guys are are being eased through. Yeah, no, it's not. It shouldn't be discouraging. It's just uh, you know a reminder that we we need to be patient with this stuff. Sure, it's not all going to be Tyler Adams straight into the lineup. Right. Right. Or Weston McKenney, really, too. You know, he was he was a U nineteen and then he went straight into the Schalke first team and that's like that that never happens. It almost never happens for any player of any nationality in Germany. Let's move on to MLS. There's just a giant soup of players and rosters and preseason, pre-season games. games. Yeah, I mean it's it's impossible to keep track of it all. But I did want to mention one name. Uh, Paxson Pomacall, who was a standout for the U-20s in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying in, in November. Pomacall looks like he's going to be the starting one of the starting central midfielders for FC Dallas. Uh, that he's, he's slotted in there for both of their last two preseason games as the starter. Looks pretty good. He's got good ideas in the attack. I've, I've never been as high on him as I am on uh, Mendez or Ledesma or even even Carlton, for that matter. But, yeah, it'd be cool if he, if under Luchi Gonzalez, he gets to start the first four or five games of the season and we really get a chance to see what he's made of. Yeah, that'd be a good bellwether, too, because, uh, we, I mean, we've seen Pomacall playing side-by-side side with Mendez and Ledesma, and if he's a guy who can start right away, I think that also tells you uh, something about how good Mendez and Ledesma are. Right. Especially Mendez, because I think I don't think anybody came away from that World Cup qualifying tournament thinking Pomacall was a better player than Mendez. I mean, I, I think a few FC Dallas fans maybe did, but 
you've been keeping track of the MLS youths in CCL, I think. Yeah, just because uh, I, you know, I don't. I tried not to put a bunch of stock in in the in preseason exhibitions uh, where everyone's name is going to show up on the on the team sheet. But CCL is uh, legitimate competition, uh, whether M- all MLS teams prioritize it or not. Uh, and we saw some kids trotted out for for CCL games. Toronto Ooh. played a Toronto played a couple of them. Griffin Dorsey, who I think kind of surprised some people. Yeah. Uh, and Iowa Canola came in in the second half of that game. Uh, Toronto obviously got destroyed, embarrassed, uh, humiliated uh, on the road. And were they in Panama? Man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but in any event, it's, it's kind of these two guys playing kind of wasn't telling because uh, really the takeaway from Toronto's dismantling was they are a very incomplete team at this point. Yeah, what did, how did you put it? Rumors of their demise are... <laughs> Not exaggerated in the least. Uh, <laughs> if, they don't, if they don't add two or three big pieces in the next, uh, next couple of weeks, like, uh, they are, they're going to be Colorado Rapids level uh, of incompetence. And they can't add big pieces right now either, right? I mean, there's, the transfer windows are closed around, around the globe. Now, as far as I know, Bells, it's the, the incoming team that matters. So they can sign anybody, uh, I believe, uh, while the MLS window is open. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Pretty sure that's the case. So, And, I, and I, we, we've been hearing since Giovinco departed, been hearing that they are working on a uh, big dollar signing. And I don't think Terrence Boyd was the big dollar signing that they were referring to. Terrence Boyd for USMNT. There's st- I think there's still some voices out there saying that. <laughs> I'm just, I have not I'm just heard. Just, just, <laughs> I mean, th- uh, that those voices would come up a couple, you know, a few months ago, I think. All right. Well, who else? So Red Bulls one two zero somewhere in South Central America last night too. Yeah, and uh, uh, Omir Fernandez got in for the Red Bulls. Uh, I mean, he Red Bulls were cruising, or they. I mean, they were just. It was a very comfortable win on the road. They won two zero and. Uh, it was never really in doubt. Um, the only question was how many and how, how many starters would they be able to rest for the home leg. Is that because uh, Jesse Armas just knows CONCACAF? <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest. But, I mean, I think it's just because the opponent's not very good and the Red Bulls are, are know what they're doing. And, right. uh, again, it's a, it's a massive contrast from what Toronto looked like where they just didn't look at all like they knew what they were doing. Yeah, what if the whole thing with Toronto is just that Sebastian Giovinco was one of the best players in the league of all time, and everything else was just ancillary to that? Well, what if? What if? Josie Altidore is an ancillary piece. That's a pretty good ancillary piece, and obviously he's not available with injury. That's true. Uh, But yeah, Omar Fernandez, twenty year old kid, so uh, just just somebody to watch to see if he will continue to play a real part in uh, in the Red Bulls' plans for the season. Uh, or if this is that, uh, those sort of one-off Ben Mines types appearances. Yeah. Well, so Fernandez came on a, on the wing. Is that right? Yeah, came on on the wing. Uh, again, looked looked fine. Uh, it didn't didn't make you think that this was going to be the next Alfonso Davies, but he looked fine. Okay. All right, and the best uh, ho- the best hope for Major League Soccer in 
CCL has got to be Atlanta United, right? Yeah, they're kicking off tonight. So uh, also a real chance to see some more American youths uh, in meaningful competition with Miles Robinson, Andrew Carlton, and George Bellow. All three of them have legitimate chances at real playing time this season, uh, starting with tonight. Yeah, I did my obligatory Andrew Carlton social media check sometime <laughs> in the last 24 hours, and he is on the plane to wherever they're playing. Is it It's Her- Herediano? Herediano? The word is Ro- Miles Robinson is close to winning a starting spot in Atlanta. In their three-man back line, right? Yeah. That that's that'd be news, man. We we could always use a uh, another center back prospect. Yeah, let's get Frank DeBoer as our U twenty three coach and <laughs> Yeah. Well just it seems like he's gonna play he's gonna play some of these kids, so by the time all of you listen to this, uh that <laughs> that game will have happened, so you'll be able to correct whatever mistakes we're making here. Let's see. Next up on the agenda is Fabian Johnson. Is he having a revival, Greg? I think he is, uh, and it's because I think part of it's the uh, the Greg Berhalter inverted fullback uh, situation where you're asking about who could play these play this position. Um, and I, I mean, Fabian Johnson's name has to has to come to mind. He plays fullback for, for sure. uh, Gladbach right now, uh, who's what third in the Bundesliga table. He's not like a day in day out starter, but I think he's got six, seven hundred minutes this season. So, uh, you know, even if you're a bit player on the third place team in the Bundesliga, you're still a bit player on the third place team in the Bundesliga. So, uh, we don't have a lot of those kinds of guys laying around. So, no, I think Fabian had always been had been sort of ignored for the past year and a half because uh, he had said that the 2018 World Cup was going to sort of be it for him. For international soccer, right? I don't. I don't know if he said that. I, did he say that? Maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, but he is also. It's, I mean, at least I've seen it reported. I think uh, from the Yanks are coming that he's he's on record said that he would ex, he would be open to a call up uh, for the new regime. So uh, that instantly puts for for me that instantly puts him back into the player pool as a. Uh, real interesting candidate for left or right fullback. Yeah, it's it gets, seems like it would give Berhalter so many options. He and just in the what have you done for me lately category, he went ninety at fullback for Gladbach in a creditable one-one draw with Eintracht Frankfurt over the weekend. Those are two, you know, like you said, Gladbach is number three in the table. Frankfurt is number seven, I think. So that that's a big game for both sides, and uh, and there he is playing fullback. He's comfortable on the ball. He could he could be the inverted fullback on either side of the of the field. You know, if if Berhalter yeah, or he could or he could he could be the inverted fullback, or he could be the fullback slash third center back when we're in possession. So he could play either of those roles for me. Yeah, and do them very capably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine him in uh, Daniel Lovitz's spot. Be it'd be it'd be roughly the same except more polished and uh, I don't know if he'd be a better defender than Lovitz at this point, but he wouldn't be much worse. I thought Lovitz was a pretty good defender, to be honest. 
Well, I mean, he didn't have to do any defending, so it's it's tough to tell in that game. I don't, he was in a war. He was in a war out there. <laughs> I'm not familiar enough with his uh, defending at the club level to know if he's like a standout, if that's like his big strength is his 1v1 defending uh, or his weak side defending, which is an issue we have. Um, but just last thing on the, on the Fabian Johnson bit, um, a lot of the criticism he's going to get is that he was inconsistent in the US, for the U.S. national team. And I just want to say that that criticism basically applies to every U.S. player yep. who who played for the last six any time in the last six years. Uh, so I think that probably is a bit of an indictment on our on the coaching staff we've had for the last uh, decade. But nobody has just come in and looked good every single time they played for the national team. Not even so, Christian Pulisic. No, he yeah he had games where he was a complete non-factor as well. So. Uh, so I just I almost don't even think that that's that's not a meaningful criticism of anyone. John Brooks didn't has you know he's been he's never really looked put it together all the time for the U.S. Well, neither has neither did Clint Dempsey, uh, who was probably the best player of the of of our era. Yeah, neither did Michael Bradley, as as many people will point out. All right, let's move on a little bit. Uh, we got a few more things to cover. Next up is the U.S. women's national team. She believes roster has been released. Greg, take it away. All right. So they've got three games uh, in the end of February, beginning of March. Uh, I think it's Japan, England, Brazil. Um, Lindsay Haran is the big name missing, but she's missing because of injury. Uh, Morgan Bryan, uh, who I think a lot of people are, are – Figured that she would be sort of in the 23 for the for the World Cup this summer is dropped. Uh, she's a healthy scratch despite Haran's absence. So um, at best, I think she was probably number five on the center mid depth chart, but now it looks like she might be seven or eight at the moment. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a big one. And then the last thing I want to uh, just mm. say on this roster is that I think there are two really good attacking players for the U.S. that are being. Uh, that are that are omitted again, uh, sort of have a, having a hard time getting real looks, and that's Sofia Huerta and Savannah McCaskill. Uh, Huerta's a 26-year-old, McCaskill's 22. Uh, I don't know if you if you know how this works, Bells, but for a lot of the NWSL players during the off season, for for these players to play more of a 10-month calendar, uh, they get loaned to teams in Australia. Hmm because the Australian women's league is going on uh, sort of offset with NWSL. Anyway, Huerta and McCaskill just, just faced off in the, or I'm sorry, just uh, for Sydney playing for Sydney FC, just played uh, Perth glory in the championship game of the Australian women's league and Huerta and McCaskill scored three of the six goals in the game. Just think they're really, they're they're really good attacking players. Uh, Huerta has gotten some looks for the national team, but she's been tried at fullback for some reason. Um, is she kind of a winger? Is she like a pacey winger or no, she's like a forward number 10. Okay. She's basically like a number 10. So, uh, is something where Jill Ellis sort of tried to accommodate her and fit her in. I think she knows she's a really talented player, but didn't think that we had any room in the attacking, uh, side of things was just like, well, can I squeeze her into the back line? Same thing that's happening with crystal Dunn. Uh, crystal Dunn has been a success story. Um, but Huerta is just sort of now out in the cold, even though I, I think she'd bring a lot to the, uh, bring a lot to our attacking side, to our stable of attackers. Huerta's a, Huerta's a dual national too, right? She used to play, she played some for Mexico growing up and, uh, 
Is that right, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, no, that's correct. And yeah, she filed a one-time switch in 2017, hmm. and then played played for the U.S. the next day. So it's kind of like the opposite of the uh, of the men's side. In with the U.S. side, the rich get richer <laughs> on the women's side. That is the case. We stole we stole uh, Sydney Larue from Canada, stole Huerta from Mexico. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's they they, they probably wouldn't be starting players Huerta or McCaskill. Uh, but those two and uh, Adriano French are definitely in the Velasquez thinks they def they need to they need to get a look uh, camp. Okay. Okay. That those the she believes cup is you said end of February beginning of March. Uh yeah, February twenty seventh I think is the U.S. first game. Okay. All right, coming right up. The uh, NWSL TV deal. What's going on there? Wednesday, though, they NWSL announced that their partnership with Lifetime uh, was ending a year early. Uh, there was some, there was a bit of like panic about whether or not they had anything else in place, and I still don't think all the details uh, for their uh, TV rights have been announced. But uh, Jonathan Tannenwald did post that all NWSL regular season games will be available on Yahoo Sports. So, yikes! I mean, I'm hope I'm hoping that's the case. At least we'd get to watch something, but yeah. uh, have you not been impressed with their with their production of CONCACAF Champions League? Well, I just haven't been impressed with my inability to find a replay of any of the games. Oh, uh, maybe that maybe it's out there, but I don't. I, I watch hardly anything live. It's impossible right. for me to do that. Um, so I'm always looking for replays. I I couldn't I couldn't navigate if it exists on the Yahoo Sports website. Bells couldn't find it. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll spend some time trying to figure out how it's going to work for the NWSL. Okay, but that's yeah, that's the big news for uh, for that season that's probably kicking off in April. Yeah, that is big news. Matters a lot where you can watch and how. Uh, last thing, last thing I wanted to bring up was the U.S. Youth National Team draws for the World Cup, U uh, twenty World Cup, and the U seventeen World Cup qualifying tournament. Uh, start with the U-17s. We now know that in the first week of May, they will play group matches with Canada, Barbados, and Guatemala. They, what do we know about those teams, Bells? Uh, nothing. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> I don't either. Not. I don't know anything about their first teams or their U-17 teams. I mean, you know about Canada's first team, right? Kind of. We never see them play because they're never in the hex. Yeah, that's true. That's. I guess that's what we know about them. Yeah, maybe they're. Hopefully, they can uh, figure it out and be in the hex this next time. So the the U seventeen still don't have a coach, so we don't we don't know what's going on there. It's a let's just file another protest with the USSF. Please hire a coach <laughs> for the U seventeens. The format of this tournament is that there are eight groups, but four of the groups are are a little bit larger and they're the smaller nations in Concacaf. They'll play uh, in March and April. Those group that those groups will play in those at those times, and then the winner of each of those four groups advances to the round of sixteen in May to meet the top three teams from the other four groups, which are the larger Concacaf nations. Uh, the U.S. is in one of those groups, so the U.S. just has to beat one of the one of the four teams in its group, one of the three other teams in its group. So, so it just can't finish dead last. 
Yeah, can't finish last. In his, in his group of in his group of four teams. And what's the what's the reward for finishing higher? Do you do you uh, theoretically have an easier opponent in the round of sixteen? Uh, probably, but we have now plumbed the depths of my knowledge of the format. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I guess the 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 reward for winning your group means you're probably playing a little bit better soccer than if you finish third in your group. Yeah. The last thing is uh, the U20 World Cup draw is Sunday. That'll be interesting to see who we end up against in May. That That tournament starts later in May. So May is going to be a busy month for all of us, I think. Uh, the U.S. is in pot A, which is good because that's where all the, the better teams are. Bells, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test out your knowledge here of, of these pots. Do you know how they determine who goes into pot A? I assume it's not senior team performance. Otherwise, it seems unlikely <laughs> that the U.S. would have earned a pot A slot. I think I saw something about it being a recent performance by the U-20s. So um, I, I assume the dominant showing in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying had something to do with it for the U.S. But there are, I mean, there are plenty of good teams in pots B, C, and D. I think Argentina's in pot C, Colombia's in pot B. There's no, there's not going to be any easy groups. Um, but we'll know more about our opponents next week. At okay. least, at All least, right. at least the U20s have a coach, Greg. You know, <laughs> Tab Ramos is still with us. Let's close up shop. We'll be back next week with a deep dive on young Americans in Major League Soccer. So look for that early next week. And uh, MLS starts next weekend. Uh, lots, lots happening. I think the following weekend after that, USL starts. And, and then it'll only be two weeks after that that we have our, uh, our friendlies against Ecuador and Chile. Bells, what's the, what's the USL uh, television deal? ESPN Plus is going to carry every single match in both divisions of USL. So that's that's great news for you in particular. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm not the only one now. There seems like there's there are at least seven of us around the country <laughs> who are uh, who are going to be watching a lot of those games. All right, Greg, have a good weekend. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you. 